Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey everybody, welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Matt Meltzer. Before we get to Matt, I have a few announcements. First, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. You can go there. You can see photos of our guests. Uh, You can see stories that some of them have written. You can see stories that I've written. You can see links to their social media and websites. And you can see links to our social media, which is, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, there's our uh, Facebook page that we have. If you can follow us uh, and subscribe on all those platforms, I'd appreciate it. There's also links to Stitcher Radio and Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to this show. And we're also on Spotify and iHeartRadio and all those other things. So wherever you get your podcasts, please listen and subscribe. If you think you might make for a good guest on this show or you know somebody who would, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. And you can also write me just to say nice things. You can ask me travel questions, whatever. That's the address you can write me at, TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Dot com. Okay, it's been a while since I talked to you. I pre-recorded a number of episodes because I was leaving on a cruise ship, actually two cruise ships, doing stand-up. Back at it after my nightmare weeks over the holidays where I got norovirus a couple times and was incapacitated. And then, of course, on the last week, I uh, suffered a detached retina and uh, pretty much laid low for six months, and then I finally took another gig uh, one week on Celebrity Cruises down out of Florida to the Caribbean, and that worked out fine. Stayed a few extra days to see my mom down in Florida, and then came back for a couple days to L.A., and then flew up to Vancouver, where I caught an Alaska cruise for two weeks for Holland America. And that's where things went wrong. Not the shows, or show, I should say, that I did. It was fine. But I boarded the ship in Vancouver on a Saturday, July 2nd. Did a show that Monday night. Tuesday, I'm walking around Skagway, Alaska, and just kind of feeling tired and run down. Wednesday, I wake up, feel terrible. Headache, scratchy throat, cough. And I went, "Uh uh-oh. And I brought one of those little uh, home COVID tests. I brought a couple of those with me, and I took one, and it said negative. And I went, well, maybe... Maybe I'll beat this, and I'll sleep on it for one night. And then I wake up that Thursday, and man, oh man, I felt even worse. And I had a show the next night, and I, my voice was trashed. I really felt terrible. And I had to call the nurse, and a guy came up in a hazmat suit, gave me a COVID test, and sure enough, I had it. Here's what a lot of people don't know about their Alaskan cruises. Because they make a stop in Canada, they were still going by Canadian quarantine rules, which means 10 days. So immediately when I tested positive on the ship, they moved me to a cabin on the COVID floor, which at the very least had a balcony so I could get some air. But long story short, I was in that small cabin for eight days, eight days, never leaving the cabin, calling room service, sleeping a whole lot. After a few days of really feeling bad, the fever kind of went away and the headache went away. So that was huge. But I was coughing a lot and was really drained of energy. It wasn't fun. Nor was it fun being cooped up in a, in a cabin for eight days. And I know you're saying, Mike, but I just said 10 days. Well, yes, I was scheduled to get off on the 16th. I boarded on the 2nd, scheduled to get off in Vancouver on the 16th. And for my final two days, they put me in a hotel in Vancouver. And on Monday the 18th, I got home, and I've been home ever since. So, ironically, this all happened on the Koenigsdam ship, which was the same ship I was on in Mexico over the holidays when I got my detached retina. So I think I'm cursed on that ship. I really do. When I think about it, 
I'm actually kind of fortunate that if that had happened to me here at home, I just would have been home, unable to work, might have had to cancel work. But as it turns out, I recovered and slept for a week while getting paid on a cruise ship. Now, am I eager to get back on a ship? Not totally. I have none booked right now. Still wondering what I'll say when the call comes and there is a new booking. I don't know if I believe in karma or a lot of that stuff. I I really don't know. And between the nightmare over the holidays with the retina on the Koenigsdam and then this latest episode, maybe the universe is saying, hey, Mike, maybe cruises aren't your thing right now. (laughs) I don't know. But a guy's got to eat. You know what I mean? The good news is I'm feeling better. It's good to be home, sleeping in my own bed, which is nice. But I did post uh, from my balcony during quarantine on Instagram and Facebook that I had gotten COVID and I was locked down. And it's amazing how many people came out of the woodwork and said they had either gotten over it recently or had it at the time, have it right now, or know somebody who has. It's everywhere out there. I can't believe I had managed to avoid it for what are we, almost two and a half years into this COVID thing? So in that aspect, I was very lucky, but still, I got it. And I think this latest strain that's out there, it does seem to be very contagious. So if I can tell anybody out there, be very careful because people are getting it all over the place. Okay, that's an update on me. Let's talk about Matt Meltzer. Matt is a Miami-based travel writer. He's written for various publications and sites like Thrillist and... The Matador Network, along with numerous other publications. Originally from Sacramento, he went down to Miami for college. He was in the Marine Reserves and really didn't plan on becoming a travel writer. So it was interesting to talk to him and really find out how he became who he is. I've tried to get him on the show for a while, so I knew he'd be a great guest, but it just it was just hard to work out. But luckily, I caught him when he was out here in L.A., and he came over, which was such a relief to do an in-person interview like the old days. It's so much more fun. We cracked open a couple beers and just, you know, shot the shit here. You would have thought it was 2019 or something. Anyway, stay safe out there, people, and please enjoy my conversation with Matt Meltzer. Matt Meltzer, I apologize if it's uh, warm in here. It's all right. I'm from Florida. This is not warm. This is <laughs> oh, that's pleasant. right. That's right. This is pleasant. We would wear a jacket in weather like this, so <laughs> you're good. Were you like born and raised in Florida? No, I was born in Sacramento, which is a whole different level of heat. See, I can't get a vibe off Sac- Sacramento. Really. No one can get a vibe off. Yeah, Sacramento. what is it? I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, the capital. That's all we know. A, it's it's agriculture. Uh, it's overflow parking for the Bay Area. So basically, if you can't get into that lot, you drive 80 miles up I-80, and oh look, here we are. Right. <laughs> uh, it's 108 degrees. It's flat. Uh, but I have I, I, it's my hometown, so I, I make fun of it. But it's got great restaurants and and a, a lot of great outdoor activities. As we always like to say, we're an hour and a half from San Francisco. We're an hour and a half from the mountains. And when the best thing you can say about your place is how close it is to other stuff, that's I think right. that's a great town. That means you're nowhere. Listen, in LA, you're an hour and a half from two neighborhoods over. So yeah, you know, like that's true. I feel like in Sacramento, we have we have some <laughs> great things going for us, and that like no, you can be in a completely different climate. Here, like you might be in a different zip code. Yeah, for some reason, an NBA team. An NBA team. How that still is, uh, how they're still there is uh, is beyond. Kevin Johnson amazing. greased some palms. Is right. What happened. They built yeah, a new stadium, happens. and it's a beautiful arena. How could they not go to Vegas? It just writes itself. It's like uh, Vegas I don't know. Kings. I mean, I see the logo. It's like a deck of cards. Would have been the King and-, and their owners owned the palms for a yes, while. The old Maloof, the Maloof brothers owned the palms, but the team was good when they owned them, so they couldn't move them. Right. And now they drove the team in the ground, sold it, and now they're there, and nobody wants them now. Mm-hmm. Seattle, maybe, but now they built that new arena, and they can't, you know, what are they going to do? bad. Like, play, players don't want to go there. No. Chris um, Webber once famously cried when he was traded there <laughs> because it was snowing, and he was driving through these fields, and it looked like Siberia. <laughs> and I understand that. I don't think it's that bad. No. I think being sent... To Charlotte, I would, I would rather play in Sacramento than Charlotte. I would rather play. In, there's a Oklahoma City. What are yeah, you, the hell are you going to do in rough, Oklahoma City? That's a rough call. Yeah. What, so, how, how did you get to Miami? I know you went to the university, right? I, that's how I went there. Well, I had a thing for the Golden Girls when I was a kid. 
And I just you wanted thought, a lanai, right? Yeah, I just <laughs> thought that's what I'll be sitting around with a bunch of old ladies and eat cheesecake, and that's what. Or you know, I'll 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 sell cocaine. It'll be yeah, one of those see? two things. Yeah, uh, Miami Vice. He's like, right? That's that it. was the era I grew up in, and I had an aunt, Aunt Sylvia, who was like my mom's cool aunt, like the one she would lie about staying with when she went into Manhattan, and she lived in South Beach by herself, and we'd go visit her and go to Wolfie's, and I was like, this is the greatest place ever. It was the '80s. You know, Aunt Sylvia, only person I know who got bored to death. Hurricane Andrew came through, and her brother, Mike, moved her up to Delray Beach, where there is nothing right. but old people in deli specials. And uh, she died within six months. She was so oh. bored. She yeah. was 88 years old I or mean, something. But. I've been going, because I grew up in Chicago, and I, I went to Florida my entire life, because my grandparents lived in you know, Margate. Margate and everything. Margate, and they were just yeah. like the old Jewish grandparents. My grandparents too. It's basically Seinfeld's parents in a yes. you know, phase one of Oriel Gardens condo, whatever. And so it was like that. So, but growing up in Chicago, where the weather was horrendous, Florida had a lot more appeal. Yes. Now, after living out here, it's it's also. I grew up where it was flat as a pancake. I love mountains. I never get tired of them. And like, Florida is the one place that's flatter than Illinois. It is. It's unbelievably flat. Our highest point is actually a freeway off-ramp, and you know it's hard to get views from up there. I did a uh, promo when I was working at TBS. We had to, when they opened uh, Disney's Animal Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. And they opened the Everest ride, and they had to put in the promo, and they had to say it was the highest mountain in Florida. It's a. It's not a very. It's not a very <laughs> tough thing to say. It's like being the smartest person in Florida. It's really not. <laughs> A very hard thing to do. So you didn't go straight. There was military in there. I was in the Marine Corps. I was in the reserves, and I'd be the first person to say I, I fixed trucks one weekend a month. But I served, and I'm, I'm very. <laughs> you were proud in the of, shit. Yeah, I'm proud of my service, but I don't. <laughs> Thank walk you around. for your service. Yeah, you're very, you're very welcome. Uh, you know, there was a lot of wrenches I had to turn. Like a lot, a lot of grease. Uh, <laughs> no, but I was just very lucky, and I, I, I never went to Iraq or Afghanistan. I was never called up to active duty. Uh, but I, you know, I make no apologies for it. But I'm also a very upfront with people. Like, nah, man. Like, I went. <laughs> I might have shot a few rifles here and there. I went to boot camp, which is awful. But other than that, it yeah. was it was about as relaxing a military experience as you can have. Was this ROTC during school? Or was no, I was a straight up reservist. Yeah, I was an idiot. I was like, I could go to college and then be an officer, or I could enlist before college and, and pay be for college man, and pay for college <laughs> and be the low man on the totem pole. That, that was the most un-Jewish financial decision I think <laughs> I, I ever made. Can't believe your parents didn't talk you out of it. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, they tried. My mom tried. <laughs> Not a lot of Jewish mothers are like, oh, the Marine Corps. Yeah, that's yes. for you, son. Yeah. For some reason, the Israeli defense force is fine because yeah. that actually oh, sure. that that's help. dangerous the marine reserves is like I, yeah. I mean it's still you know the military it is really you don't have a choice you don't have a choice that's you, it. everybody yeah, serves yeah. but you know you go up if you told your mom i'm gonna go join the idf oh good go go yeah. fight for the for the homeland you know and <laughs> okay but uh no i, so I served uh one year active duty six years in the reserves and i went to college while i was uh, in the reserves oh, okay. uh they paid for about uh two thousand dollars a year which at the university of miami gets you yeah. a book i know it's like miami that's a private book. yeah and yeah. it bought me one book uh, and a tank of gas to get to class, and that was about it. But no, you know, I went and I got to wear the uniform around campus, which when you're in college is, you know, That's having the big. dress blues on in campus is it's a good thing to be. Able is to it do. in Miami too? Well, it's a little hot. Yeah, but, you know, but still, it's a it's an impressive uniform, and so yeah, That's, it is. It looks, it's a big draw. Marines are a big; um, those stand out. Was it something about like? I guess everywhere you grow up, I wanted to get out of where I grew up. Sure. And I guess you grow. I wanted to come to California, though. Well, so you wanted I, to leave. You know, were you just East Coast was always on your radar? Did you look at like New England or something like that? Or was it uh, always? No, I, it was cold. So my mom moved us to <laughs> Seattle when I was in middle school okay. from Sacramento. And, and it was, I was like, I don't want to be in this weather. I want to be the complete opposite of hills and rainy and cloudy. Yeah, I get it. And so I went to South Florida. And I had always had a thing about South Florida from the time I went and visited my grandparents. And so, you know, and I magical. joke about the Golden Girls and Scarface. I had some friends that lived there from an Israel trip that I took when I was 15. And I was like, wow, you could actually live here. And, and um, no, yeah, I, and I think I always identified with Miami a lot. I liked the hustle. I liked that it was a little shady. I liked that it wasn't a nice place. That it was kind of. And yeah. back then it was gritty. Like now it's this very glamorous. What city. years are we talking? Uh, I mean, I, I learned about it in the '90s, which is okay, just coming out. Because I was going there Cowboys, as a kid yeah. in the '70s and '80s. Right. I'm older than you, but I was like, it was rough. Yeah, gritty. Like and, you did. Uh, yeah, yeah. The gay community really saved South Beach. I mean, then it became this. You know, when they started doing up all the uh, Miami Vice, too. Right. But and the Birdcage yes, era, yeah. As much as they don't want to admit it, the cocaine money really built. Oh, the cocaine money built the city. a lot of it. It, it built destroyed all the, a lot of it, too. It destroyed a lot yeah. of it. But, I mean, you know, Miami Beach was a place where old old Jews lived, and they were dying. And it was like Miami know, the Beach. art community. And then they all came and, and kind of revamped all these old Art Deco hotels. And it was like, wow, this is now a cool place. 
But correct me if I'm wrong. I was just down there last year a couple times. The locals, do you hang out in South Beach much? No. They've moved on, right? No. It was locals, a little gritty. It was a little rough. It's, uh, it's a different kind of gritty now. And, yeah. You know, it, because it's <laughs> like that scene in Scarface where they have the shootout in the middle of Ocean Drive. That was Miami Beach in the 80s. That's and what I remember. Jewish people and cocaine dealers shooting each other. That, that summed it up. I mean, that, that's a Johnny Rockets now, that building, yeah. or a CVS. <laughs> right. You know, it's the most generic, boring American. And there's a TGI Fridays one block down. Yeah. So it, it's, it's still got its character, but it's not, it's not glamorous anymore. No. The parts of South Beach you want to go to aren't the ones you see in postcards. It's the Fountain Blue and it's those things. And the city's changed a lot, you know, and, and it's a very different place than the, than the place I moved. And I, that's fine. I think cities change. That city especially changes a lot because it's right. very small and the amount of people who control things are very, very small. So it just, it changed and it's changed a lot since the pandemic. So, you know, it's a different place. Is it Br- Brickle? Is the uh... Brickle is where I live. Yeah. Okay. That's like I heard my cousin still lives in Miami. He's down south, like by Kendall and stuff. Oh, my. But yeah, he said, um, that's kind of like he hadn't been to South Beach in years, no. except when he came to visit me in the hotel. That's when He's you like, go. Man, I haven't been here. It's like it's like going to Hollywood if you live in LA. Yeah, yeah. You don't go there unless you got someone from out of town who wants to see it. Because even if you're going to the beach, there's there's other beaches you go to in Miami if you live there. Right. South Beach. Oh, I'll show it to you. It's fine. Yeah, we'll go get a drink on Ocean Drive. But it's yeah. I mean, it, it's a tourist trap for yeah. the, for the most part. Well, now that this is a since this is a travel uh, podcast, can you give people a hot tip? When they're going, we don't want to ruin a secret place, but can, no. where should they hang out? Listen, I always say you got you got to go see Ocean Drive because it's so unusual. Yeah, you drive through it. Right, you drive through it. You see the lunch. deco buildings. <laughs> right, you have lunch. Uh, there's a there's a great steakhouse at the end of there called uh, LT Steak and Seafood that's actually fantastic. It's in an old colonial building that just sticks out like a sore thumb when you're there. <laughs> Uh, I mean, if you're in Miami, obviously you want to check out Wynwood. I think the best restaurants in the city are going to be in Wynwood. All the Michelin-starred ones are in the design district, but that's kind of like Rodeo Drive or, or you know, it's somewhere where it's very expensive. If you're an average traveler, you can go to Wynwood and you'll find everything from Japanese to Mexican to Greek. Phenomenal food uh, in that neighborhood. Uh, we, have, you know, we have great pizza. The food there has gotten incredible. Where where did the travel writing come from? Did you study journalism in school? Or? I did. I wrote a blog once upon a time. Uh, that uh, was, blogs. That you could, those? Yeah, in 2006, when you couldn't get paid to write a blog, <laughs> no. I just did it because I had a job where I had nothing to do. So I started writing it, and it got very popular. Uh, and again, before you could have corporate deals doing it. Uh, and then uh, someone read it and suggested I go to journalism school, went to University of Florida, got a master's, came back, ran the dorms for a ballet school for a couple years, and started with Thrill List. So that's that's about my life story. <laughs> where, did, where did people see your blog? How did it get... It was very Juice. strange. I mean, I just had it on Blogger. I mean, literally on, oh, wow. on okay. Blogger. That's that's. I mean, it was like one level after Live Journal. That was where my <laughs> blog lived. Was there, and it was dull. And and I had one post about uh, a girl named Jen Sturger who went to Florida State, who was probably the first social media influencer. And it went viral, and then people discovered the other content, and all of a sudden, I had thousands of readers a day out of nowhere, which back then was pretty good. Yeah. You, know? you had 2,000, 3,000 people reading your blog every day. That's some guy working out of a gym in, in, in South Miami. So, so your blog was was just kind of like your own personal views on things. It right. wasn't travel. It was, was not travel. Travel I fell into. I was writing about local food and drink in Miami, which was fun. You know, I still yeah. do that. Uh, and then Thrillers sort of changed their structure and they said, well, we only need two stories a week. Do you want to do travel? I'm like, travel? I don't know about travel. I get on a plane. Yeah, go. Who wants to travel? Yeah, who wants then, to see the world yeah, for, exactly. for nothing? I didn't understand that's what it meant. <laughs> I thought it was writing a lot of things like eight ways to score a first class upgrade right, okay, or 15 yeah. ways you're pissing off your flight attendant. And I'm like, I, okay, how many of those can you write? And then about two weeks later, I got an invitation in the email saying, hey, uh, we'd like to invite you to this private island in the Turks and Caicos where you'll have your own house. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> What's the deal? Well, we just want you to write a story. That's it? Are you going to sell me a timeshare at the end of this? Or what? <laughs> how, what is going on here? Like, oh, well, that sounds lovely. Uh, and so I went on that, and I was, and I talked to this lady there who wrote for Vogue or something, and she said, oh, yeah, no, this is kind of how it works. Oh, my was gosh. Was this mainly the early for Thrillist? Was this mostly for Thrillist? Th- yeah. I, I didn't really write for anybody but Thrillist uh, on a large scale. I wrote for a, a local site in Miami, but uh, for anybody but Thrillist until... Oh gosh, 15, 16, 17, somewhere in there. I know this sounds bad, but are they still a thing? Are they still around? I think so. I, I do their local content in Miami, <laughs> okay, and it's still, good. I mean, listen, I still get a lot of people requesting that I write stuff for Thrillist, not the, the unit, but, you know, publicists saying, we'd love to have this in Thrillist. We'd love to have it there. And I right. said, well, 
I probably write for them on on the travel side less than anybody, you know, local. But uh, so yeah, I think there's still a thing. I don't know that they're the the leading voice in travel, but yeah, they still publish a lot. People still want to write for them, and you know, they pay okay. So you know, I've heard. Uh I've interviewed a few other people that like some people have written for Lonely Planet and things like that. But as a, I don't want to say you're a, would you call yourself a critic? Like a restaurant thing or you're no, just a reviewer? No, I or? report because, you know, you know me, Mike, I am, I eat like an eight-year-old. Yeah. You know, I'll go in, I'll say, I'd like my steak well done and a side of chicken fingers. And, you know, it's a Michelin-starred restaurant. Like, what are you doing? Right. But, so I, I go, I eat what I want to eat, but I report on what's there. I have someone come with me who actually eats like an adult. They'll, they'll okay. eat, you know, the interesting stuff. I've gotten better, you know. But I try you- ceviche here and there now, but <laughs> I'll still be like, I want ceviche. the steak well done and they're like, Oh, well done. Why? An Fine. extra ketchup, please. Yeah. Yo, ketchup. Did, did, you got uh, one back there? <laughs> yeah, but did, did, like the restaurant people, especially in Miami, do they know you at this point? Oh, yeah. Okay, so then they're trying to impress you. Yeah, that's the best part. They yeah. come out, they're friendly. <laughs> Service in Miami is generally awful. I mean, yeah. even before the pandemic, it was on another level of terrible. And I, I had forgotten this because... I would go in and, of course, they would say, oh, this is the guy from Thrillist. And I understand it's a biased opinion, but I'm not writing reviews. If a place is terrible, I just don't write about it. Right. That's the way I would always do about it. It's yeah. like I don't want to, like, write a slam piece on no. somebody. And you never know somebody's having a bad day, you know, yeah. or, or it's just or it's just not your kind of place. I've gone – there's a restaurant in Miami that just got a Michelin star. When I went there, I was like, this is awful. I would never – eat here I, this place is going to be out of business in two months and there was another food critic sitting next to me said the same thing you know we said private not there you did know. it close no they got a Michelin star a couple weeks ago <laughs> so it just goes to show it's all about a picture right, you know right, like right. obviously I didn't know what I was talking about and it's fine I don't, I'm not the be all end all but do I know a lot sure but I, my opinion is not you may love a restaurant I may hate it it's fine yeah well how, how many weeks a year would you say you're on the road where, I mean pre-pandemic and then now post i'd say about half um you know yeah i would say about half the time i'm gone i try to i try to keep it to that it probably it probably sneaks over into 60 percent when you factor in visiting family or, or other things like that but i would say i'm home about half the time i do know from talking to longtime travel writers and things like that there is a risk of burnout you know especially you know you could be on your fifth airport that week and you're another delay and you're just going to what am i what am I doing? Well, oh. And you can get exhausted. It can get exhausting. It is a burnout. As glamorous I mean, as it, it looks, I mean, it can Listen, get... You did it. You, you were on the road. You, oh, yeah. We talked about it. It's the same thing. It wears and you out. Yeah, you wake up. You don't, know, you, know, you don't know where you are. Or I had a trip. You know, you're on the road for 40 hours. It's this sea of airports and lounges and all those things. And yeah, you get to a point where you go, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Give me your worst uh, flight experience. Oh, my gosh. My worst flight experience. Whether it could be like delays or turbulence or lost luggage or cancellations or stranded somewhere, anything. I had one time a bag get, I mean, this is my worst flight experience. I had a bag one time get lost and they kept, it kept missing me by a city because I was doing about four different cities and they would get it to another city behind me and I was without a bag for five days. So I was basically (laughs) wearing the same stuff for five days. And when they finally got the bag to me, they'd broken the whole bottom half of it off. So I had half a suitcase, a bunch of luggage, half fallen out of it. And I thought, you know, maybe next time I'll just do carry on. That's my worst part. I mean, flight, horrible, horrible flight stories. You know, a great one I had, it was before I was even a travel writer, but I got to the airport in Jacksonville, North Carolina when I was, when I was leaving active duty from the Marine Corps. I'm leaving and I get there at 6 a.m. My flight leaves at 7 and there's no one at the airport. Like the front door is locked. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, a cab drops me off. I'm sitting there with my sea bag and my, you know, my high and tight motivated. And <laughs> about an hour later or 45 minutes later, some guy walks up and goes, oh man, I'm sorry. I said, what do you mean you're sorry? He said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm running the airport. One guy was running the airport. He overslept. He got there late. The flight was delayed. <laughs> Long story short, I end up missing a connection and I'm in the Cincinnati airport and I'm trying to go home. I've been on active duty for a year. I just want to go home. I'm in the Cincinnati airport and I have orders to my next station and standing next to me at the at the rebooking window is lawyer malloy who was a defensive back for the new england patriots who went to university of washington from seattle and uh he he can't get on a flight to seattle that day and he says do you know who i am and the lady looks at his paper goes says this your lawyer malloy 
I hand them my paperwork with the orders. She goes, oh, yes, sir. We have one seat on the 10 o'clock flight to Seattle. You'll be on it. And I was like, look, I got a seat ahead of a pro football player. Lauren Malloy just kind of looked at me like, who is this dorky white you know, white kid with the <laughs> dumb high end? It was before people were all, thank you for This is pre-9-11. Yeah. So people oh, okay. were not as like, oh, the military. Well, so. I was wondering about that because I wasn't in the military. But like you'll see um, some, some people in uniform. Some guys not in uniform. How is it decided whether you wear it on board or whether you don't? When you well, uh, the Army is nasty, and they're allowed to wear their camouflage uh, outside wherever the hell. They can wear it to wear it, wear it playing volleyball. They can wear it to the club. <laughs> it doesn't matter. In the Marine Corps, you cannot wear your utilities anywhere. If you're traveling, you either wear civilian clothes or you wear uh, an approved uniform. Um, there's certain uniforms that are approved for travel. Whereas, as we like to say, the nasty, nasty Army and the nasty Air Force, <laughs> they'll walk out in their camouflage like, what's up? We don't care. Oh, okay. Trying to blend in. And that's just some inner service uh, shit talking there. But it's true. The, uh, different branches have different rules. But they'll make an announcement. It's like uh, service members in uniform are allowed to board. So right. that means the service members... Not in uniform. They're just got. They got to wait. Like, well, listen. If you want to wear your your Charlies, your Deltas, on a cross country flight, you can board first. Be <laughs> yeah, my guest. I mean, maybe I'm wearing do. sweatpants. I'll board last. Depends on how care. bad you want the overhead space. Right. Yeah. And personally, <laughs> I don't. I don't care. What are you going to do? If I can't listen, if a, a guy in the military comes in with an overhead bag and someone, you know, puts their bag ahead of him. They look yeah. bad anyway, so uh, I never worried about that too much. I never traveled in my uniform. And also, like, it's cool the first time someone buys you a drink, and then after a couple times, you're like, I don't want to listen to you tell your stories about being in the Army 20 years ago. Yeah. And by, you know, and it sounds rude, but, like, you just are kind of like, I just kind of want to fly yeah. under the radar. There's no way for me to bring it as someone who didn't serve, and look, I thank people who did because I, you know, didn't do it. But I always wonder, because like I do a lot of, you know, work on a lot of cruises and stuff, and there's always those guys who wear their veteran hat every day and uh you know there's meet groups and you know they wear them in the airports they'll wear their veteran stuff and t-shirts and and i don't know it's just like i thank them right and just like but do you want to be thanked every day and i think they do and i think i don't know if that's i'm not saying they don't deserve it but i don't know it's like no, I, I was I, on TV, but I don't want to like right. carry around a headshot of myself. You know what I mean? Not <laughs> I, that I'm comparing risking no, your life. No, no, no. I understand. I, listen, I think the Vietnam guys got treated so bad when they came back. I'll give them a little. I bit would of be a- like, I'll do it. You know, if you're proud of it, you're proud of it. And yeah. I, I always think, and and we always joked about it, but it, it's like doing anything worth worth being proud of. Don't. I'm not one that that brags about it, but I wouldn't right. say it's bragging. If you're proud, if you're starving, be proud of it, you know. And and it's fine. I never thought about it one way or the other. You don't see young guys doing it much. When I see a young yeah. guy doing that, I'm like, bro, you're like 30. Don't. Those and hats also, are for old men, right? Right. Know? Like and also, you, Afghanistan wanted for 20 years. That's a lot of dudes. It's a lot of guys. It's a lot, it's a <laughs> lot, lot of guys. Of a lot of people. But I know. I you know. I I think. I, I've met a lot of guys who do that, but it's generally World War II, Korea, Vietnam. They do get a lot of drinks bought for them. A lot of drinks bought for them. Oh, yeah, a lot. Maybe that's what it is. I'm I think like, it's I'm what it is. I'm going to get some free drinks. They do get a nice uh, nice treatment. So how much of your life, like before, I know you said you did the Israel trip as a teenager. Was that the first time out of the country, or did your family travel? Uh, no, it was my first time out of out of North America. You know, we'd done Canada, Mexico, Bahamas yeah. cruise, but it was my first real have to get a passport, go on a trip. And then I didn't go to Europe until I was 30, 31. Really? Yes. Yeah, so I had not traveled much internationally and really until I had this job, which is probably part of why I'm so enthralled by it because yeah. there's so much I didn't see. Uh, and that was just a function of time and money. And, you know, not everyone can afford to take their kids to Europe. And, and that was, you know, my family yeah. didn't really have money to do that. We had money to go to Florida or go to New York, but not. That's where I went. I mean, I never, I never left the country till you know after college. I did the backpacking thing around Europe for six weeks, as you do, like with a URL pass and. Well, the other thing was when when I was in the reserves, I couldn't leave. Like I couldn't leave for more than a month because I had to be back to to do my weekend or do my summer service or whatever. So like I couldn't do study abroad. I couldn't do a some a summer you know outside the country. I had to be back in Hialeah once a month. So. Um, that, that probably limited, but whatever. I, I feel like I've made up for lost time now. So since you have been traveling, has there been a country or place that just blew you away that you didn't expect, that you're like, I didn't believe I would like this place as much as I did? The two places that really stand out, New Zealand, which I knew I'd like, 
but I didn't quite understand how incredible that landscape is. Because Americans, what we love to do is go to other countries and go, boy, this, this looks a lot like Pasadena, doesn't yeah. it? Like, <laughs> really, look, look at the hills. It's just, it's just like, let's put the Rose Bowl right there. And that's how Americans travel. New Zealand was a place where you couldn't do that. It didn't, it, just, it looked like the Hobbit. And that was the only yeah. thing it looks like. And, and that blew me away that like, even the most basic American traveler would go there and be like, I don't, even, I don't know what this looks like. It's incredible. <laughs> Uh, and, and the people there are so relaxed. Like, they have crime, but they just don't worry about it. Yeah. I'm listening to the radio, and they're like, they were, I'm not going to do the accent, but like, oh, four people were stabbed in a bar last night. Now rugby, you know? And yeah. Just, they don't dwell but again, on it. it's stab. They're not shot. They're not they're, shot. Well, they, right. I mean, they had the one, but they, the know. one guy. Yeah, the <laughs> one guy. They had one. And they shoot, all know him. And they, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's and not every day. It's not every day. Uh, no, and, and but that it just blew me away. And the people there are just so laid back yeah. and, and kind of crazy. And I, I loved it. And then I was just in Rwanda, which I didn't think I would love. Uh, and I thought I'd like it. It was great. Uh, the cleanest place I've ever been. Right. We were, I was really, in all of the places I've been in Africa, that was the cleanest city. I've ever, I'm not including like Cape Town or something like that. But even then, it was, it was you know, remarkable. Kigali was... Uh, Clean. I, we, it blew me away. Cleaner than Miami. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, I, I can't cleaner think than LA. Yeah, <laughs> maybe there's some Canadian cities that are that clean, but yeah. I don't think there's a, a, a big city in America that's that clean. That surprised me. It was I not was... a piece of litter, and everybody was nice. Everybody dressed well. Like they might not have been wearing designer clothes, but everybody took a lot of pride in how they looked, uh, and they were not. And there was so much. Just the nature is incredible there. It's, they have jungles and deserts, and mountains. Yeah. they got everything there. Lakes. I didn't know they had like high altitude lakes. In, in in Rwanda, you just don't hear that. No, uh, and that country blew me away. And so I would say, if I could say, there's two countries that I just went, wow, this is cool. Those would those would be the two. Did you ever go to a place that you had heard so much about and you got there and was like, eh, this is not really my my jam? Austin, Texas. Really? I was all right. Like it was just because people talked so much about it, oh. and it's a city that wasn't. It's not. They have cool stuff, but they're not set up for the crowds. You know, whereas yeah. L.A. And, growing, and like New York insane. have figured out kind of how to manage crowds because they're big and they've been big cities. And Austin, just everything had a long line. Everything was crowded. There was nowhere to park anywhere. And it was just not a they're having real growing pains there. So people talk about how great it is. I'm like, I, maybe. But my experience there was was very underwhelming. I was like, I don't I don't need to go back there. Have you had any kind of um, I don't know. This probably doesn't happen as much on press trips. Well, probably not at all, but I mean, problems with like border guards or passport people. Ever had to bribe anyone? No, gosh, I wish I had a story <laughs> that cool. No, I, I've never had to bribe anybody. You know, once the police in Tijuana, but that's that's a Marine story. We're not going to okay. talk about that one on the air. Yeah, that's good. Come yeah, on. Come yeah, on. We're not yeah. censored here. Right. Yeah, no, but that, like that, but that was years ago, you know, and that yeah. was just me being a drunk Marine down in Tijuana and getting pulled over and being like, hey, I got a hundred bucks in my wallet. And, <laughs> you know, and one time in Dominican Republic, I was driving around San Pedro de Marquerie, which is where every major league baseball player is born. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I was there with a friend of mine and the police pulled us over because they saw a big, dumb white guy in the car and they're like... You just ran that stop sign there. That's going to cost you 5,000 pesos, which was, I mean, it was like 100 bucks. It was not a small amount of money. Uh, and those are the two the, the, the shakedowns. But no, I've never had to bribe a border guard. When I, when I went to Pakistan, I was lucky to go there with a, a very wealthy family. Uh, it wasn't a press trip. And uh, they greased us through customs and everything. Yeah. And they may have taken care of everything. But as far as we knew, it was just like, do, 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 do. How was Pakistan? Out. I've only been to India, but I haven't been to Pakistan. Pakistan was incredible. I, I was a cultural experience. I was there for a wedding. Okay. And, and by the way, I say wedding. The first night he goes, this is nice, intimate, just friends and family, 750 people. And I said, that's it. He said, yeah, tomorrow is a smaller one. It's 2,500. Was it and one I'm of those like week long or yeah. two week long? Things? It was two weeks. I went two for weeks? the second week. I was like, I can't do this for that's two insane. weeks. And everything is food and elephants and tigers. And because this was, again, it was a very wealthy family. And yeah, so, I was going to say, you know, and every there's nothing subtle about anything at this wedding at all. But you look at the bride and groom and like by the third day, they're like, just I'm done. And all they do, they sit there, they take pictures, and that's it. And I, I, mean, I say it felt bad for them. But it was, I mean, one of them had park, it was like a stadium parking lot, and you had to walk through. And then they had armed guards who walked us to the bathrooms and stuff to do everything. Wow. Because, I mean, the crime there is, is real. Yeah. And, I mean, we had two, three armed guards with us everywhere we went, um, which was incredible. But it was it was a it was a def, very different experience. You don't realize how many people live there. You don't realize how people live in in other parts of the world where they just don't have the resources. So when we went out, we'd see people living in these sort of square apartment buildings. But there's 300 where in America there might be 30 people yeah. in that building, and and that was what blew my mind. 
I went to Dominican Republic one time. The first time I went there, I stayed in, in Santo Domingo at my friend's house. And I went running in the morning because it was a nice day and they were on the ocean and they were in a middle-class neighborhood. And I get back from the run and my friend's outside. So where are you going? I said, take a shower. I said, no, you're not. The water's not on today. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. what do you mean the water is not on today? He's like, you think, you think this is Miami? We yeah. don't have water every day here. <laughs> I had to go to the water park down the street, buy admission and shower there and come back. But yeah. you just learn these things that I had no idea that you just don't have running water in middle class neighborhoods in a major city. But it makes you appreciate things. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Listen, I remember the first shower curtain we saw in DR. We were like, oh, my God, a shower curtain. <laughs> this is before DR was all resorts. This is like when it was right, still right, kind right. of a, a rough Caribbean island. Uh, and it was it was a great experience. And I love that I got to go there with like a guy who lived there and live like really live like it is. And now when I go back for a wedding, I'm like, I, okay, you know. Well, you think about it, and that's the rich side of the island. Right. Because Haiti's on the other right. side. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're the, the poorest ones place in the Western together. Hemisphere. Right. I mean, yeah. that's... Oh, Haiti's, Haiti's rough. Yeah. And that's it. They have a real problem with illegal... Like, we, like with us with Mexico, they have that with yeah, Haiti. Yeah, of course. And, oh, we can't. and then you realize they're escaping to a place where you don't even have running water every day, which I don't mean to disparage the Dominican Republic, but like that is no, a very... that's a step up from Haiti. I but mean, like it's... even the worst neighborhoods in America, you have running water. Yeah. For the most part, you know, Flint no, is debatable. But. I don't, yeah, I don't take that for granted. You know, it was like one of those things where what, I've been gone enough where you're just drinking bottled water all the time and stuff like that. When I come home and it can go to a water fountain and drink it like in a U.S. airport or like just turn on my faucet and it's not going to give you right, you're not going to you know, and just like, oh, yeah, I, get, I'm not right. take this for granted. We you don't that. waste as much. And the either. power is going to stay on. Yeah, every day that? in India when I was there, the power went off at some point during the day. Sometimes for, could be an hour, could be like a few seconds, could be, but if you're working on something and, yeah, and there and, it goes, you just lost your, whatever right. you're writing for, like, damn it. Yeah, it's gone. And people say that and you don't understand it until it happens and you go, why is it off? Oh, well, that, that just happens. But yeah. it's a way of life. And they, you know, in those countries, it's just like you get used to the water. Texas is a fa- failing power grid. Yeah, you know, that's true. Our infrastructure is going. So it's, that's true. We'll yeah. get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. We'll, we'll be there eventually. Oh, yeah. It's only a matter of time. Have, so any, did you get sick in Pakistan? Any food poisonings? Any? Uh, I got sick. In? The only place I really got awfully like international sick was El Salvador. And Ooh. it was from a chain restaurant in the mall. Like we were eating in little <laughs> surf shacks and, you know, dingy roadside places. Fine. I went to a, a, a surf shack or a, a chain restaurant in the mall in San Salvador. Oh, two days I was in bed after that, <laughs> including the flight home, which was awful. I haven't done El Salvador. What, what were you there? What, was this a press trip? Some murder, murder tourism? Just no. Going, yeah. No, oh, I'm great. kidding. I, so I had a friend that worked at the embassy. And oh. he called, I was going March 6th, and he texted me March 4th. He goes, I don't mean to alarm you, but we've had 154 homicides already this month. And it was like the third, yeah. you know? And and he said it's it's beautiful except for the murder and that's really what the but they don't mess except with except for the murder yeah they don't mess with tourists because they they know that that's the way to yeah, raise yeah. the ire like the U S isn't really concerned with the murder rate in El Salvador we're not concerned with the murder rate in Chicago no we're certainly not worried about the murder rate in El Salvador but if U S <laughs> tourists get killed then we start caring yeah. about the murder rate in El Salvador so. Uh, they left us alone, but I did get horrible food poisoning mm. uh, while I was there. Uh, and and it was it's a God is a beautiful country. I mean, absolutely beautiful. And I hope that they can get their situation under control someday because I think it would be an, it's an absolutely wonderful place to visit. Is it like jungle? I mean, it's um, it's, it's Central I America. Think of it as jungle, but it, it's it's Central. It's jungle the way Central America is jungle. So they have like mountain jungles and they have big surf beaches, and that's like what's Costa so cool. Rica-ish. It's Costa Rica-ish. Yeah, Costa Rica just. It's not the tourist not, <laughs> infrastructure. Yeah. Like instead of you know hippie beach clubs, there's like you know street gangs. Yeah, and that's what they that's what they do. But no, I, I don't. Again, El Salvador is, is absolutely beautiful, and I think if you if you have a sort of a tolerance for a little bit of danger and a little bit of like, okay, like I need to be careful here. It's it's a great place to go. I know some surfers that have gone there. Surfer, yeah, for surfing it was great. I don't surf, but uh, the surf yeah. the surf villages are fantastic. They're really cheap. The surfing looks incredible. I, I don't have the balance to surf. I wish I did. <laughs> yeah, I'm not uh, good either. And the food's great. And we went and ate, ate at some, uh, you know, mountaintop steakhouse restaurant. It's probably $100 for two people and <laughs> wine and the whole thing. Uh, but then we went and did a hike in a national park. And they're like, no, there, there are a lot of people get robbed on this hike. So you need to hire an armed guard to go with you. Okay, well, <laughs> good to know. All how right. much of these trips and how much are you writing now, would you say, is what percentage is food and what percentage is, like, just activities and 
Um, it really depends places. who I'm writing for and what it is. Right. Uh, I, I write for a site right now called 50 Grand where I do hotel overviews. They're not reviews, but they're just sort of you know reports on hotels. So my focus has now leaned a lot more into finding interesting boutique hotels when I go. When I was with Matador Network on staff, it was about finding cool outdoor activities, adventure, bungee jumping, zip lining, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, and there's always a little bit of a food element because food is now as much a part of tourism as a museum or a site or a natural wonder. So people want to know, where can I go eat? Where can I go eat that's unlike what I what I can get at home? So um, I, I would say it's very. It really depends on what the angle of the story is. Uh, but food is probably the number one constant. And I like breweries, so I, I always make a point to go. So is it still like main focus writing for others, or I mean, you don't have like a site for yourself, right? I have I mean, an Instagram page. Yeah, I know yeah. that's what I mean. But you're not like no. I'm always writing for other people, right? But uh, because they pay, and okay. uh, I don't. I'm not going. I'm going to pay myself. That's going to do me very well, you know. So no, that's who pays so me. You wouldn't I, say you're like an influencer, like a big Instagram. Oh, I don't influence anybody. <laughs> Maybe a few people in Miami see a picture and go, "You didn't eat that, but it looks good." Uh, but no, I'm not. I, I I write for other sites, and I'm you know that's what I do, and I, I think I've done fairly well for myself doing it, given given the climate these days. Yeah. So. I'm I'm very proud of that. So you haven't embraced the uh, the video, the uh, the photos. No, and- no, I should. You know, well, we, yeah, we, I, we, we all, all do should, better, right? Yeah, right. we all should. No, I don't. I'm like, who the hell wants to see me? Like, I, I I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm not. Wait, you in the wrong town? Right, I'm not in the right. You know, <laughs> I'm not a 19 year old in a bathing suit. Yeah, you know, I know. it's nobody, hard to compete Nobody's with really that. trying to look at a picture of me on a balcony. Like, I hey, say the same thing. Yeah, he's a goofy middle aged guy with a beer. Okay, yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I get so that. It's, I, I get it, and I, I understand it. When I first started, when influencers first started being a thing, and they came on press trips, I, you just hated them because they were so with their phones. But now you just realize, look, you have a, you have a business, and there's some that are good, there's some that are very good, and there are some that are complete trash, just like writers. There's yeah. some that are very good, and there's some that are complete trash. And if you're on a trip with a good one, or you understand a good influencer, you go, oh, there's actually a method to your madness here. And yes, you did just spend an hour taking a picture of a chocolate sundae that melted by the time you were done. <laughs> but ultimately, there was, a, there was a purpose behind it. You have, a, you have a, a business you're running. Someone's paying you to do this. Yeah. You got to respect the hustle. You yeah, know? no, I get it. And, but then there's some who are like, you're here for a free trip. Yeah. You know? and, and those are the ones where you're like, I, you hope those get weeded out. Like I took one press trip for, it was beer-centric, which was for Travelocity, and we went to what I found out later was like the second biggest microbrewery town in the country, which was San Diego. Yeah, you didn't know that? No, I didn't know that. I I, I knew Portland, and uh, Denver's a big one, and... uh, but I didn't per capita like how many breweries were down Insane there. Insane amount of breweries in San Diego. Yeah, the guy I was down at Society Brewing last week, ju- just visiting it. I met the guy who runs it, and he told me that there's something like 258 breweries within a 15 oh, mile ridiculous. radius of him. I'm going, we don't, and we might not have two, that many in Florida. In the entire state, <laughs> we might not have that many. But yeah, San Diego, unbelievable beer scene there. Rochester, New York, another city. Really? Insane amounts of breweries in Rochester. They have more than, than we do in Miami. Oh. Uh, because they have the Genesee Brew House there, which is a, was sort of like a big local brewery there. And they let all the craft brewers come in and use their equipment. Oh, so all these people okay. just kind of come in, make stuff. And I, I was, it was a lot. I mean, for a city that size, we are like, hey, what is there in Rochester? They had unbelievable amount of breweries. Yeah, there. it's in places where you wouldn't think. No. <laughs> a lot it's, of them. No, a lot of them. You, you would, uh, Portland, Maine, I think, has the most per capita in the country. Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, and then, but anyway, yeah, no, beer is great. You know, what I love about beer is that it's it's the one thing that you go around the country and it's not commoditized now. Like I go to a brewery in San Diego, I'm not getting the same beer I'm getting at a brewery even in L.A., much less Miami, Seattle, Texas, wherever. So you go to that city, you have a beer, you bring it back, you have something to offer people from your house that's like a souvenir from an exotic land that they can drink. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like, hey, look at that mask. Nice, you know, right. but you got, hey, here's a beer from Honolulu. Here's a beer from Monaco. Here's a beer from wherever. And people are like, holy shit, this is, you know, that's cool. It's something I can't, they can't get. So I love having that as a, as a host and I love just having it like, I want to kick back on my couch. And oh yeah, I remember when I went to, you know, Fargo, North Dakota and I had this beer and it was so good, you know. <laughs> so I think it's great. Tell me about traveling post pandemic. That, was, get a, that was the golden era of travel, I think, 20 and 21, because people just it was weren't empty, right? out there. But if you wanted to go, everybody was happy to have you. Things were cheap. They weren't cheap, but like I remember flying LA to Miami for forty two dollars on American Airlines repeatedly. <laughs> yeah, I had friends who would just go to Nashville for the weekend because the flight was twenty bucks. Again, not on Spirit. You know, no, no I'm not band brashing here, brand bashing, <laughs> but 
Look, we all know. Spirit. We all know. We know the deal. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, and it was great. And yeah, you had to wear a mask, but okay, I'll wear a mask for five hours to be on that kind of thing. And it was fun because I think it was really people who wanted to be out there or who just wanted a cheap flight. Uh, but you really, you really had to want to do it. I, I liked it. I thought it was. I thought it was a, a wonderful experience. I think now we're kind of seeing what that slowdown. You know what the travel industry is doing right now? And I don't know if you ever had an office job, but if you ever had an office job and you didn't have shit to do that day. You know, and you were kind of sitting around on the internet, whatever, and your boss comes up at two o'clock and says, I want you to do something. You're like, oh, yeah. don't make can't, me do that. Can't you see I'm doing nothing here? I'm doing nothing. You're right. Can't, exactly. can't you see I'm doing can't nothing? Can't you see I'm stalling to go home? And I think the entire travel industry was like, can't you see I'm doing nothing here? And all of a sudden, the whole world wants to yeah. travel again. And they're like, oh, God. we got Now they're not prepared. Yeah. And I'm not blaming the people. I think it's the, you know, they're understaffed and they're overworked. And I saw a poor guy in the baggage claim at Miami that I honestly thought was going to get bum rushed and beaten to death by an angry mob. And I was, I was not scared, but I was like, this, this is about this close. Yeah. Well, it, it, needed a, it was a powder keg waiting to explode because it was two in the morning. Point is, I feel bad for the people, but I think the industry right now is in that mode of, can't you see I'm doing nothing here? Yeah. And they're just <laughs> trying to catch up. And they're just trying to go, all oh, right, there's a worldwide demand for travel. Yeah. We're going to have to figure out how to deal with this because we haven't had to for two years. And it's not just here. I mean, it's, oh, it's all everywhere. Over. Europe is Europe's a nightmare. Worse. Yeah. I had a bag. My bag, I came back from Africa. My bag took four days. And I had everything I owned in there because I was gone for two weeks. You oh. know, it's everything. So whatever. How, well, I mean, I really worried because, you know, we went to the Gorilla Trek in, in 2019. And then a year later, everything shuts down. And their entire economy there is all tourism. And you worried and all of a sudden, like, when you know, they hire former poachers to be the guides and trackers. And when that money's gone, they'll go back to poaching. Right. You know? And so it was a really tough how were the gorillas doing when you saw them? They were great. They're back. I mean, it's still a felony, I think, there to 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 kill it to poach a gorilla. So there's still an incentive to not poach. Yeah. Uh, but I think there was still some poaching. Uh, some of the parks, but you don't know uh, how much the information is really accurate. But some of the parks that so we haven't had an animal poached in you know 20 years or something. Right. So they, they seem to be doing okay. But again, they're recovering. I mean, the the gorilla tracks were packed. Every, every oh, place we went was packed. Everything was full. Again, it's that pent-up demand. I mean, Europe's the same way, yeah, and that's yeah. their main market. And Europeans are, yeah, they want to get back out there. And maybe you've been sitting there reading travel stories during the pandemic and going, oh, yeah, trekking with gorillas. Let's do that. Okay, that's the first thing you're going to do. <laughs> yeah, people you have know? been on the sidelines for two years. For too long. But you would think they would be, you know, I mean, grateful that they're finally getting out. But everybody's tempers and, and fuses seem to be so short. It's like you need patience now more than you've ever needed it. Oh, well. And, and just like now everybody's like demanding. And really, it's like, do you know, <laughs> everything's strained. Everything's, everything is strained. Everything's strained to the Everybody limit is now. understaffed. And, it, yeah. and it's kind of like when you were going into restaurants when they first reopened. Yeah. And even now, but especially uh, at the beginning. And airlines are the same way. Everybody's understaffed. Everything's just taken a lot of time, and that's just the deal. And and you can complain, or you can go, and listen, I had to adjust because yeah. it wasn't really that bad until April or so. And now I've adjusted, and I go, oh, shit, I used to get to the airport an hour early. Now I got to go hour and a half, which is going to be real fun for a 5.30 flight this week. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a joy. But that's just what you do. And you also make backup plans. You understand that, oh, you have a connection? Hey, man, like, you may want to look at other connecting flights. Don't I always check bags. Now I only check bags when I need to. Because oh, never, yeah. It makes it. I was a huge, am still a huge fan of checking bags. I just what? Okay, I'll, I'll explain to you this. You are the only travel writer I, I know. I'm going to tell you my thing on checking bags. <laughs> okay. All right, number one. I give number, you 50 reasons not to. I, okay, let's do a listicle. Do a listicle. All right. All right number one, uh, you know what I don't like? I don't like being somewhere and going, gosh, I should have brought that. I like to just have it. And maybe it's going to be cold. Maybe it's going to be warm. If I see uh, a bottle of wine somewhere I want to bring back or beers I want to bring back, I don't got to worry about, oh, I can't bring this on the plane. Okay, yeah. All right. Number three, you know what makes boardings take so fucking long on airplanes? The guys with the overhead bags <laughs> and especially the little old ladies who can't lift them over their head. And I try to I be help a good those little ladies. I know, but it still takes more time. And if everybody just had a little backpack and checked their bags, you'd be on off that plane in 10 minutes. And I just think checking a bag ultimately, yeah, I've, listen, I've spent some time in baggage claim, but I don't mind traveling heavy. Also, you're a big guy. Our clothes take up more space. <laughs> I jacket, you're bigger than me. Jacket takes you're, you're, up half a suitcase. How only, are supposed to pack? See, now, like, yeah, it depends. If you're going to warm weather, yes, it's much easier to pack light. Have, uh, uh, you're going skiing. 
this week. Oh, I'm bringing that's, the biggest, that's uh, everything. hard. Yeah, right. Ski stuff takes Ski up. Ski stuff, you can't. You can't carry it up. No. I, I know people who do it, and I don't, I'm like, how do you do or it? Or you just rent it all there. You, you rent it all there. That. The jacket, the pants. The point is, it's hard for me to pack light. You're right. If I'm going to a Caribbean island for five days, I can figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> if you work out every day, well, you got to pack four pairs of gym clothes, plus your gym shoes, plus your flip. Four pairs? No, just up. four pairs of underwear, buddy. <laughs> this is why I will not share a room with you <laughs> anywhere. Uh, nah, then you flip those inside out, you get an extra it's a new pair. You got to yeah. wear the reversible ones. On. No, I can't do that. And so anyway, I'm a big fan of it, but that's why now I'm like, well, shit, now it's not worth it because no, if you can book a, you know, a connection, I got a backup flight for my connection. Just I booked one today just in case because I got a, a connection to make in Miami the next day. Have you ever done the thing that I've done it a couple times where they offer, you know, to bump you, you know, if give up your seat? Yeah. And I've done that and I've got I made like I think five hundred dollars one flight. I made like six hundred for another. If I'm not in a hurry, I was like, well, if it's a good enough deal, I'll do it. But one of the ways you can get that deal is the first thing they ask you, did you check a bag? Because they have to go back and get your bag, right. which they don't want to do. So you'll be bumped up to the list of you're flexible. You can always That's and you can grab a new if your flight gets canceled. You can quickly run over to the next gate and just go, can I get you on just this run one? over the next one? Yeah. Well, that's why I said it's good to have that kind of flexibility. And I have yeah. gone on those lists. I haven't had that happen to me in many years, though. For, I think probably for that reason, because I always have a checked bag and they're like, nah. But yeah, for $1,000, I can sit around the airport for a few hours. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Can you sleep on planes? I'm oh, terrible no. at it. Oh, oh, no, absolutely not. I can't even do red eyes. Now, red, red eyes wipe me out I for hate two red days. Eyes. Yeah, I can do it to Europe because you have to, but they're long enough flights. But like a Seattle, Seattle to Miami or, or LA to Miami red eye, I just won't do it. And I and maybe I'm just old enough now. I'm like mm. I will just spend an extra two hundred dollars. So I, I I am a human being on Tuesday yeah, and Wednesday. I'm ruined. And that I'm that asshole with the reading light on because oh. I can't sleep. You no, know, I, I'm yeah, the one guy watching TV all night long. Or just and it's just just when you start falling asleep. You know what kills me though is you go on these Europe flights at eleven o'clock at night. It's an eight hour flight right from from the East Coast, and they serve you dinner. Who the hell is eating dinner at 12 o'clock at night and leaving the lights on and eating food and cleaning it up? But it's all to shut you up. It's all to like keep you, they'd rather have you full with food and, or because somebody will complain. But aren't they just going to go to, it's 11 o'clock at night. What are we going to do? There's nothing to do at 11 o'clock. You know what? Do one round of beverage service. Give us some alcohol. We'll all pass out. It's at 30,000 feet anyway. Yeah. I, and I, I'm not sure how to go on an old school stand-up comedian. What's the deal with hey, airlines doing this? Have you seen this the guy? peanuts? What the- is up? With, there's no, ain't no peanuts anymore. No, not anymore. I once wrote a story complaining about the assholes who won't let you have peanuts on planes anymore. You will and never the piss nut off allergy a group. People. You will never piss off a group more fervent than the nut allergy community, oh, yeah. my friend. Yeah, yeah. My son, my son, deathly yeah, allergic. Yeah. Okay, ma'am. Listen, it was a throwaway line <laughs> in a story literally called "The 101 Problems with Flying." And the other hundred things went right over your head. This one, I got a Twitter storm. I have, and I got a lot of hate mail over the years. I never ever got more than I got. <laughs> ever nut allergy people. got more than the nut allergy community. Do have not ever done, make a nut allergy joke. Have you ever done private jet? I still haven't. One done time, it. I, I did it from from. Uh, it was a real long flight from Boca Raton to Bradenton, uh, Sarasota, oh, Bradenton. What is what's that? Forty An hour? minutes. Okay, yeah. it was great. It was probably the best press trip no, I ever went. That's great. And they brought they brought powdered donuts, strawberries, and champagne on. Of course, I took a picture. I put the powdered donut on my nose and took a picture with the champagne in my hand. <laughs> and the publicist was like, "You're going to need to take that that picture exactly. down from your Instagram." But it was a great. That was a great. Uh, God, that was an incredible flight. Was this the Bradenton uh, Tourism Board or something? It was uh, Opal Resorts. They had a resort in Jupiter, and they did Longboat Key. Okay. over there. And I had we had this driver who picked us up in a, you know, an escalator or whatever, and he had this voice from Transylvania or something. Ooh. And we say, where are you from? And he goes, I'm from Bradenton. And the girl says, well, where's your accent from? He goes, I'm sorry, East Bradenton. <laughs> Far East. <laughs> Far Bradenton. East Bradenton, yes. <laughs> so that was the best response I think I could have ever gotten to that. So, East, East Bradenton, they, yeah. they talk a certain way there. Uh, but that, yeah, so that was my one PJ experience. I have oh. not done the influencer private jet uh, mock-up set that, that is nice. so popular in Miami, but... Someday, or put a toilet seat over a picture <laughs> yeah. of a far-off island. You know, I brought, I brought buddies on trips, too. You know, there's somewhere I'm like, like Buffalo. I brought a buddy up to Buffalo last, last Christmas. I'm like, bro, we're going to have a sick time. And we had a great time. You got the hat. You still got, got the, the, you got the this is where I got hat. the hat. Was on that trip. No, we went. We did a, we did a weekend there, and now he's, he's hooked. We're going back just for our own enjoyment in the fall. Aside from the wings. What was it about Buffalo? I've been to Buffalo. Yeah, I know a lot of people don't love it, and I, I understand that. Uh, first of all, the history, architecture, and culture there is incredible uh, because it was a st- it was a very wealthy city a hundred years ago, yeah. and they still have those buildings. The homes are are unbelievable. Uh, 
just the architecture. I mean, it, there's a couple neighborhoods in LA like that, like West Adams, that area. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. it's all those grand old Victorian mansions, and there's just blocks and blocks of them. Um, the architecture in the in the city skyscrapers are all of that 1920s classic Gothic look, Art Deco, a lot of Art Deco. Um, the people are irrationally friendly. I have never <laughs> gone and not met a random group of people who were like, "You're coming with us tonight. You're you're our buddy," you know, and just start feeding you shots. And I had some some oil workers from Ontario pick up my bill at Anchor Bar one night just because they felt bad that I was. There. I mean, I just stuff happens there that doesn't happen in other places because people <laughs> are so friendly, and um, it's got character, man. And the food is great. If you want comfort food, they do it as well as any city. I, you know, and they have some good modern restaurants that are very good, but burgers, wings, buffalo style pizza, Philly cheesesteak sandwiches, that kind of stuff. There, they just they know how to do it, you know, and that's it. And I, I just think it's it's a it's a great town. And I've never brought anyone there who didn't say that from from coming with me. And I brought a group of friends from high school back in April, and they were like, "This town, this is great," you know. It's so funny, this New York. So when I first moved to New York, I was doing stand up full time, and I was playing a lot of clubs, and. uh I had to line up all this work because I was moving to the city. I didn't really know. I was like, man, I got to book some work ahead of a time. So I was moving to Brooklyn and I was like, well, I'll book some. I got like two weeks of a club in Buffalo. I'm thinking, well, it's New York. How far could this possibly be? Oh, man. <laughs> it was yeah. like nine hours on the train. Yeah. I was like, son of a bitch. It's basically Michigan. I mean, it's, you're, it's you're Canada. Like one lake. It's yeah, Canada. no, it's definitely I mean, Canada. Yeah. yeah. It's I mean, more Canada than it is it's New York. So city. far. I mean, their accents are different. They sound like they're from. Uh, Midland. Yeah. It's a total Josh Allen. He's a great yeah. he's gonna kill him this year, man. Go Bills. <laughs> Go Bills. Go Bills. I, I love the accent. I I love and you know, people there are crazy because the bars there are open till four or five. Oh, which yeah, maybe. most small I mean New York, okay. LA is two, Miami's five, but they're open till four or 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 four or five. And when you're there, like you're trying to leave at closing time and people will be like, no, 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 no. We're going over to this guy's house. And we're going to yeah. go party over there. And it's not creepy. Like we're going to lure you into a sex dungeon kind of way that they do in Miami. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, no, hey, you Miami. know, they really yeah. just want to show you a good time and you know, you're not going to get dumped at a hospital two days later. Right. You know? So what's on your bucket list? I mean, where, where do you want to go that you haven't been? I haven't done much in the South Pacific. I, I think I, I'd really want to see that area, you know, Tahiti, Fiji, all that. I think that's, um, that's an incredible area that I, I definitely need to check out. I mean, I'd like to see more Africa now. You know, I didn't know how much I liked it, but now I've been three countries there. I liked all three of them. And I, I kind of want to see Namibia and the desert area. And I think that's definitely on there. Uh, right now, if I had to pick two, I would say those would be the two places I really, I really want to explore more of, uh, you know, for very different reasons. But yeah, tell it. me about this trip you're going on this week because this sounds amazing. This is just this is vacation, man. Right, this is a guy's trip to Chile. We're going to this resort called Portillo, which is a few hours outside of Santiago, and it's basically a, a remote ski resort in the Chilean Andes where there's nothing else. There's no town. There's no nothing. It's just this resort. So everybody who's there is there. It's kind of like a cruise ship on the slopes. Wow. Except less hokey. No offense. But it's... Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. Believe me. But like everyone who's there is... That's what they're there to do. So everybody gets to know each other. You see the same people every day. They're on the slopes with you. They're, they're in the disco with you at night. They're at dinner and they draw a ton of uh, basically Europeans and South Americans is most of it. Europeans too. Oh yeah, they love it. I figured it would be mostly Argentinians and uh, Chileans. There's a lot, but you can get from Europe to to Santiago fairly easily. Now, I don't know if it's going to be like that now. Uh, Everything I read about it was written pre-COVID. Oh, okay. And and so we'll see if it's like that. But if nothing else, it's going to be a really just cool international group of people skiing. That'd be great. Right. And not, and also... The total cost of the trip is about what it would cost through the same number of days in, in Aspen or Vale or something like that. Oh, yeah. I'm, I always wondered what the, uh, like, a, a lift ticket would be there. Because, like, one of the trips that got canceled, my first trip that got canceled when, when the world shut down was I was going to go to the North Island of Japan. Oh, yeah. And I want to ski there. Yeah, that's, on, that's on the list, too. Yeah, and I still haven't done it. But uh, I had friends going there because people forget, if you're used to skiing around here, especially, like, Vale or something, it is insanely expensive now. Yeah. So it's probably not that bad. I mean, it might even be cheaper. It's just getting there. Is the, getting there is expensive. So the whole thing is if you split a room with somebody, yeah. about $2,500 all in. That's your food, your, your lift tickets, your, your lodging. All, the only thing you pay for is your booze, which is fine. You yeah, know? Yeah. Uh, and if you did four days eating, staying in a hotel, uh, and lift tickets – in Aspen, you'd spend that much easily. Oh, yeah. Easily spend that much. At a decent hotel, 
easily. Wait. So I think it's a great deal and a complete an experience nobody else you know is absolutely. Had. You know, and I think that's part of it too, part of the draw. And by the way, I'm sitting here sweating my ass off in August talking about, oh yeah, hey, I'm gonna go skiing next yeah, week. Like, right. There's something kind of fun about that. You know, that's wine country. It's not beer country. Oh, I know. How are you um, with the wine? I we'll see. I'm sure. I'm sure I'll make do though. Yeah, I'm I think sure you'll I'll be fine. Do. I think you'll be fine. No, I'm excited. I I I think it's gonna be an incredible trip, and it's uh it's a good group of guys. So I think you know we'll have a good time. No, I'm really jealous. No, that sounds great. I got. I can't wait to see the photos and let me know how it is. I I will, and maybe maybe you go next year. Yeah. How long are you there for? Four days. Oh, that's quick. Yeah, it's quick. But from Miami, you know, you just do a weekend. Yeah, it's not. Miami. It's eight hours. That's it's your a, big advantage, Miami. I know it's South an eight-hour flight. You know, I Seattle is six. So you go to South America. There's no time change. I leave Wednesday night, Thursday night. I get Friday morning. I ski Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Leave Monday night. I'm back in Miami by Tuesday. That it's, is the one time I'm jealous of of Miami people. It's like that's the yeah. gateway to Central and South America. It's such an easy trip. We really take that for granted. And I don't. Yeah. I don't. And that's why I've done so much of the Caribbean because it's easier. Yeah. Than doing a lot of America. You'd be in Medellin in three hours. I could be in Medellin in three hours. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't done that one yet. But I'm surprised. That surprises well, me a lot. You know what? I know. And I, I don't know why. I have a lot of friends that go because it, Miami guys treat Medellin like LA guys treat Vegas or Tijuana. Yeah. Well, more like Tijuana, but classier. Uh, and, it, and and so they're just, oh, we're going to Medellin for the weekend. I'm like, oh, I know. I know what you're going yeah. to do. I figured there'd be one bachelor party around the way you would have. You know, I haven't. And it just, it's very surprising that it has not happened. My one Columbia experience was in Cartagena and I went with a Mormon guy. So it was really, <laughs> as Cartagena experiences go, pretty tame. Why were you with a Mormon guy? Oh, I invited my friend. My best friend from high school is Mormon. Oh, okay. And I was like, hey, man, like, you want to come with me to Cartagena? And he'd never been out of the greater North America yeah. area. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So he was my plus one on that trip, and uh, and we had, I mean, we had a great time. I hope his family's not listening, but we we you know we definitely drank our way around the city. Right. But I will tell you from the stories I've heard about Colombia, it was it was a very tame trip. Did you wear your white uh, shirt and black tie? Your I elder. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> that's what... we did see some Mormon missionaries while we were there, though. They get around, hilarious. man. Hilarious. They get around. Oh, they're everywhere, man. Yeah. And my friend just started laughing. He said, "Oh yeah, I knew I was going to see some here." I Where did he do his some. mission? His was in Denver and Cheyenne. Oh, that's. Yeah. <laughs> That's almost disappointing. Dude. I know. His brother was in London. I was like, well, you're in Yeah, China. he got a better hey. deal. He said, hey, that's where Heavenly Father wants me. I said, I love you all's attitude of just, it's very easygoing. Till it's not. But yeah, it's very it easygoing yeah. about things like that. They're doing just fine. They're doing, They're just, doing fine. just fine. So tell people where they can find you on Instagram and give your handles. and uh, every- I'm on Instagram, uh, M-E-L-T-R-E-Z-1. Meltrez one. It comes from a very horrible mispronunciation of my name in the Marine Corps. Six years in Marine Corps, seven years. No one got my name right in seven years. Melders. Yeah. Oh, they'd be calling <laughs> rolling formation. Metzler. Mitzler. Mitchner. <laughs> Me- uh, how ca- it's Seltzer with an M. How fucking hard is it? But anyway, I had a shooting coach called me Meltrez, and I want to be like, what part of this says Hispanic to you? <laughs> Meltrez. Meltrez. Yes. Okay. Si, oh, Meltrez. Right. 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 So, that, so it's Meltrez one. See now, y'all remember it. Uh, Finally, what do you think all this travel and how has it changed you as a person and how you look at people and the world in general? Well, here, here's, I, I, here's my little travel soapbox, right? I think America is, is very divided right now, and that's not a novel statement. But the reason we're divided is because people don't see the rest of the country. I know a lot of people that have been to Europe, and they've never been west of Ohio. You know what I mean? And they don't know anything about California. I know people in California who talk shit about Nebraska and the Deep South who've never been you know, east of, of, of Utah, you know, and they don't understand. And I think the most interesting thing to me has been going into, and I'm, I'm very moderate politically, whatever, but going into places where maybe I don't agree with everything they do and understanding that I have 90 to 95% of things in common with everybody there. We might disagree on a few things, right? But why we choose to focus on those. And I tell people, if you live in California, go to Mississippi, go to, go to North Dakota and vice versa. If you live in the heart of Mississippi, go out to San Francisco and understand not everybody out there is a, a transgender, you know, like heroin addict, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, right. like you're going to have more in common with people in California than probably a lot of people in your neighborhood. And I think if we just took the time to travel in our own country, not even like see other countries and I, and, and, and spend some time. And I've realized like, that's all you have to do is go meet those people and have beers with them or smoke weed with them or, or you know do anything with them and you go huh i really i really i vibe with you yeah maybe you got a trump sticker on your car but whatever you're a cool dude <laughs> yeah. i had i had that happen in indiana man this dude i partied with all night cool guy like took me out introduced me to everybody and like had a great night and he had a trump and i said you know what i don't get who cares who he voted it for? turns in like you know in 
and that's true everywhere around the world. You you find most people really want the same things out of life. Everybody does. You know, we got to go to work. You want a safe place to raise, live and yeah. raise your family. And, you got your you kids. Know, you want to eat. Yeah, you want to be healthy. the same and, way. Yeah. I went to Pakistan. I was like, I wouldn't say 90% of things in common with people in Pakistan, but like well over half. Yeah. And so, and that's a culture that's about as different than ours as you can get. And even there... I was talking to this cu- this couple and the wife had a burqa on and she's complaining about some shit the husband does around the house. And he's like, well, you just want to shop and spend my money. Right. I'm like, listen, two old Jewish people right. in Boca. It's the same <laughs> thing. You just happen to have a burqa on. That's, right. that's all that's different. And that's my point, right? We all kind of have the same interactions and, and, and ways, whether you're in the US or outside. And, and I think that's what it's taught me the most is that we, we really have so much more in common. And, and I wish part of what I try to do with travel writing, I do more domestic than international, is showing people, hey, like if you go to these places that you talk shit about, that you, you hate the people there, go there, meet them, and you'll understand you won't. And, and I, I hope that I can get that through to people. So that, that's it. I mean, that's the long answer to it, but that's sort of my... And again, it's, it, for me, it's more on the domestic side because I'm very frustrated at how people in this country are, are so at odds. And I just wish, like, maybe if we moved around the country a little more, we'd go, oh, all right. You know. No, I think the average number of states people have been doing this, it's like eight or Eight, uh, yeah. yeah. I don't go to all I've been to all 50. I finally knocked uh, the last two what off. Was the last, what was the last two? Wyoming and Montana. It took me Those a while. states. It took me a while, yeah. I did it during COVID. I drove. I finally, I finally was like, I got to do it. That's so I got to go to Yellowstone and do the yeah. whole... You know, did you go to the murder zone or whatever it is? It's been making the news lately. No, it's been all over the news. There's this little sliver of Yellowstone National Park that's apparently under some weird jurisdiction where there's no, you can't prosecute someone there, so you can really do anything. Oh my god! Because of some weird constitutional loophole. But it's been in the news like the last couple of days. I'm I'm waiting for the first the first <laughs> person to test that out. I'm sure it's like that one part of the building that the security cameras can't. It's, it's reach. exactly it. It's that corner of the building, <laughs> and I'm waiting to see because you know what's going to happen. Some lawyer is going to be like. All right, I'll take and I'll go to the Supreme Court, and I think even this Supreme Court will be like, "Nah, we got to close this." Yeah, I wonder if that was like Indian land or something. Well, I, I was I learned it today. It has to do with uh, federal districts and state lines. Oh, way too boring for this podcast, but right. you could read you read up on it, Google it, and it, <laughs> anyway. But good, good, you didn't go there and commit any felonies. But no, if you okay. had scot free. Oh, no, no, I wish I had. Yeah, could have got seriously. away with it. There's so many things I want to do. Well, now you know. <laughs> yeah, I know the place. But thanks for doing this, man. This was great, it. man. I had I had been, I had seen my friends on here, and I was like, <laughs> man, when am I going to? So I'm glad we finally made it in. I like we got to do it in person. Yeah, you're never I feel around like, long I enough. Know. Well, these conversations are always so much better when you can when you can sit in person. I know. I'm I'm so so tired of Zoom. Oh, I'm really am. Well, the sound quality is better. The oh, interaction is better because there's always a delay online, and people talk over each other, and it's really. I mean. Look, it was a lifesaver during COVID, and it was like I can reach people that I haven't, you know, I can't see in person. Right. So, and that aspect is great. You can get guests you haven't, you couldn't get before. But man, it's nothing like talking to somebody in person. It's hard. I listen to the radio, and I hear Zoom interviews, and I'm going, uh, I don't hear it this. doesn't work. It, it's, it's really just go to the old phone interviews. At least those didn't have that that delay. <laughs> Larry just, King, you're on. Right. Yeah. Houston, right. I remember yeah. that. Anyway. <laughs> Omaha, Nebraska. Go ahead. I miss Larry. Yeah. I miss Larry. Well, Matt, thank you for doing this. And have a Mike, safe thank trip. you so much. I will. Uh, and uh, Stick yeah. to the blue runs. Don't yeah. hurt yourself. Well, hopefully. Last, black eye last time. <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, good talking to you, man. Yeah, thanks, man. Bye, buddy.